Did perimenopause or menopause catch you off guard? Weird symptoms appearing from nowhere? Wondering who is this person who's inhabiting your body? And most of all, having no one to talk to about it? It happened to me, too. And with all the chaos that it was causing me, I knew I had to figure it out. I dug in, reading often outdated books and searching obscure references on the internet. I learned how our shifting reproductive hormones mess with every cell in our bodies. And as I realized how complete this hormonal disruption was, I became determined to help other women understand and control their own menopause journey. Because menopause matters. And here, we talk about all things menopause. I'm your host, Jean Andrus, and this is Menopause Matters, the podcast. Hey, this is Jean Andrus, and this is Menopause Matters. Today, I'd love to talk to you about something that many of my clients come in saying, and it's usually not the first thing they say, but by the time we get through our first conversation, it it's come up, and that's the topic of energy and how we feel at this time of our lives that we have lost our energy, that we just don't feel engaged in the world, that we that getting up out of bed is too much struggle, um, that being enthused about something or being ready to go is just more than we can deal with. So what's going on? Why do we feel this way? Let's start with why we feel this way. And partly it's uh it's it's physical. We're not sleeping as well. Uh, even when we think we've slept well, we may not be getting uh, restful sleep. So there's that. And then there's the effect that the lowering of estrogen and progesterone have on thyroid. Now, thyroid is, th- our thyroid sits at the base of our throats, little butterfly plant. And it is very susceptible to the changes in our estrogen and progesterone levels. And we may have noticed that in our premenopausal and our reproductive cycle, that there were times in the month where we had more energy and times in the month where we just didn't feel like doing things. And that was a result of the cyclic nature of our hormones, of our progesterone and estrogen and how they were affecting our thyroid on any given day. Then we hit perimenopause, and our estrogen levels start to drop overall so that they're not as high every cycle as as they may have been. And then after we we lose our periods in that year before we have officially hit menopause, we have we're noticing more and more the effect of estrogen on our thyroid gland. And the fact that estrogen makes T3, the active version of thyroid, work less well. What does that mean? It means that in our cells, in the producing energy, thyroid is not triggering enough energy production. And that's because it lacks its partner estrogen. Now, here's the thing. 
clinically, you go to your doctor and he says, oh, your T3 levels are good. Your T4 levels are good. Your TSH is a little elevated. TSH is uh, thyroid stimulating hormone and T4 is the inactive version that gets transformed to the active version of thyroid hormone. And so he says, you should be okay. This isn't thyroid. This isn't endocrine related, but it really is. Because what's happening is the thyroid hormone isn't working as well. There's another thing that's going on. We say we're not sleeping as well. So we're not getting the rest we need. And therefore, we don't have the energy we need. And it pushes cortisol higher. Cortisol works, is modulated. And I use that word to say it's it's ability to set you on edge is dampened by the presence of estrogen. So your cortisol is more active. You're feeling more stress. You're feeling more um, possibly anxiety, possibly panic. Um, All of those take, uh, take energy away. When your cortisol is high, your thyroid doesn't, isn't as active because your thyroid is saying famine, famine, danger, famine because that's what it knows is long-term stress. So now we feel stress. We feel stress because we live in a stressful environment or in a stressful society, and the cortisol is more active. The thyroid is less active, and all of a sudden we've got thyroid not working as well. Cortisol being overactive and saying, take it easy. We need all that. We need to save all the energy we can. Estrogen not being as high, progesterone not being as high. So nothing is working quite the way it used to. And all of this results in us feeling less energetic. So what can you do? Yes, you can go on drugs for your thyroid. Thyroid production will be raised. But there's another thing that we can do. We can limit the stress that we're feeling on our bodies. We can take that down a notch. And so when I work with my clients, there are basically um, stress relievers that are body stress relievers, and there are stress relievers that are um, mental stress relievers. So this week, we're going to talk about the, the things you can do to support your body. And this is what I teach my clients. These are some of the things that I teach my clients that help them get that energy level back to where it was. None of these involve caffeine, um, coffee, or those energy drinks, because all they do is create more stress in your body. And so if you are a person who's currently surviving on caffeine and energy drinks, you're actually making the problem worse. Do you have to give up coffee? Let's let's get that one out of the way first. No, I would never actually tell anyone on the basis of anything other than medical tests that they need need to give up coffee. You may need to cut cut it back. I've cut myself back to one cup of coffee a day because coffee was creating uh, gastric distress for me. But living on coffee, the two, three, five, seven cups of coffee in the morning, I used to drink a pot of coffee a day just by myself. And this is not good. This is is pushing your energy levels in a way that they shouldn't be 
pushed. So what we want to do is we want to support our body more naturally. So number one tip, and you've probably heard many people say, exercise gives you energy and you go go to the gym and you exercise like crazy and you come home and you're exhausted and it takes three days to recover. Yes, exercise gives you gives you energy. It helps your body get in the cycle of burning burning sugar for energy of getting of boosting your mitochondrial and energy production which we're not going to talk about today but that's not where it starts you have to start with exercise in a way that's that's not going to overstress your body the first few times you exercise so if you are not exercising at all then you want to start slow you want to start with a every other day or daily walk that doesn't feel too hard. Now, I will tell you that I've known people who literally needed to start with walking down their front walk to their mailbox and back, maybe a distance of 100 feet, maybe 200 feet at most. And that's what they could do. If that's a stretch for you, then even start slower than that. Have someone put a put a bench or a chair halfway between you and your mailbox. Stop both at, on both ways, there and back again. Do a little more each, and the exercise will start to help the production of energy in your cells. You'll go from the walk to being able to go to the gym and work out weights or ride an exercise bike or walk on the treadmill, or even you can even start running, jogging, things like that. Those things will start, even though initially they'll start with you saying, boy, this is hard. This is taking more energy. I am pooped. I am wiped out. I'm going to bed now. And you feel like you don't have the same amount of energy that you did even before you started. Give it a few weeks. This is a habit that needs to needs time to reap the energy rewards. You may start reaping other rewards really quickly. You may find yourself not stopping at that chair on the way down, maybe only stopping on the way back. Um, maybe you're walking the whole way. Maybe you decide to walk up the block and back. Take those wins, even, even if they don't change your energy levels. Okay. And make sure you're doing the right exercise for you. That means something that you enjoy. Really enjoy your exercise, whether it's dancing, whether it's walking, whether it's running, whatever it is. My next energy tip, get the right amount of sleep for you. Now, I talk about sleep a lot with my clients, and I talk about it a lot on our podcast because sleep is so important. The problem with sleep is if you aren't getting good restful sleep, then what's happening is not getting enough sleep is throwing off your hormonal balance and not, and the hormonal balance is throwing off your sleep. So what you see is this escalation on both sides. You sleep worse, you actually um, change your hormones. The hormones make your sleep even worse uh, and on and on and on. Now you can sleep too much. So 
this is experimental and it's going to change over time, by the way. So as you, as you go through this menopause journey and as you go beyond your menopause journey, you might find your, you need more sleep, you may need less sleep, but sleep, the amount of sleep is going to change. So getting the right sleep for you is super important. So how do you get sleep when, when you don't sleep well? Here's the thing. There are tricks to actually sleeping well. And those are the things that I teach my clients. But you get have to also get in the habit of using them. So let's do one. This is my favorite. This is my go-to for stress during the day and, and not being able to sleep at night. I call it 444 breathing. It can be known as triangular breathing. And it's a variant on box breathing and yogic breath work. And it's just... It's super simple and it works. So when you're doing this, what you're going to do is inhale for four counts. You're going to hold your breath for four counts and then you're going to exhale for four counts. So inhale four. So inhale two, three, four. Hold two, three, four. Exhale two, three, four. Inhale two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, one more time, inhale, three, four, hold, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, Notice as I'm counting, I'm trying to make each segment the same length. So sometimes if you're out of breath, if you're stressed, you'll need to start with three, three, three breathing or two, two, two breathing because you you can't hold and exhale that long. So what you do is you start where you are, even if it's inhale to hold to exhale to. And then as you go, as your breathing starts to deepen and you start to relax more, you can take it out to the four, four, four. Now, is the counting important? Absolutely. So that what the counting does is it gives your brain that overactive monkey mind of ours. It gives your brain something to do. It's counting. Now it can't think about your day at work or what you did when you were six years old that was so embarrassing, or uh, what your kids are doing out at night, or uh, when are you going to get that raise, or whatever it is that's going through your mind gets shortcut by these, these, this counting. And it gives your body the oxygen it needs to relax, your mind something to do, and you start to relax. Now, does this work instantly every time? The answer is no, unfortunately. I have another set of, whole set of techniques I teach my clients that extend this idea of relaxing, controlling your mind, and letting yourself go to sleep. How this one works is if you remember to use it, it does help you relax. So my favorite tip is to stick a sticky note on your bathroom mirror. So when you're brushing your teeth, you see all you need to put on it is a four. 
and it'll remind you that you get into bed and you practice this breathing. If you get up in the middle of the night to pee, you get back in bed. You might see it on your way out. Get back in bed. Go back into your 444 breathing. The more you practice it, the better it works. Remember, I said get the right amount of sleep for you. So if you find that you're getting more than eight hours and you're still dragged, try cutting it back. See what, where the sweet spot is for you. For me, it's between seven and eight hours. I'm perfectly happy getting that amount of sleep. I can function on six, but if I get less than six over the period of time, over a couple of weeks, I'll get dragged out. So find the right amount for you. I'll be back in just a moment with more energy reclaiming tips. Hi, I'm Jean Andrus, the host of Menopause Matters. Do you remember being dragged into a classroom when you were in elementary school and being told about your period? Well, as awful as that moment was, it was about a million times better than what's happened in menopause. It's like being thrown into the jungle with no map, no guide, and no way out. That's why I'd like to offer you an opportunity to smooth the way. It's a four-week class that I'm teaching live, incorporating my more than a decade of experience researching, coaching, and writing about menopause. I can't guarantee this class is going, can turn menopause into a walk in the park on a spring day, but I do know you, that you'll get the knowledge in this class to prevent a lot of misery and panic. You can find more information and register for the class at mg.menopause.guru backslash 101. My third tip, hydrate. Your body is made of 70% water. And without that 70% of water, your body can't function. It actually works in the mitochondria, in, in the cells. You need water to turn whatever you're burning, fat or, or sugar or protein, whatever you're burning needs water in order to convert fuel to energy. What is the right amount of hydration? It is lots more than you think it is. So my rule of thumb for women working on the um, imperial measurement system is take your weight in pounds, divide by two, and drink that amount in ounces. So if you weigh 150 pounds divided by two is 75, you'll be drinking 75 ounces of water. Now, is it does it all need to be water? Yes and no. You could get away counting one cup of coffee, um, but it should not be a bunch of sugared soft drinks. It should be as close to pure water as you can get it. So you're going to take that amount of water in. Now, are you going to get up and pee a lot at night? Yes. For the first few nights, you may find yourself up peeing more at night. 
Does that mean cutting off water at 6 p.m.? It's an old, old trick to not get up in the middle of the night. You stop drinking anything after a certain time and you go to the bathroom then and you don't get up in the middle of the night. But what my research shows is that there's actually a reason to have, to not be dehydrated at night because at night your brain cells actually get room in between them and, and the water along with the lymph fluid. So you need, and you need the liquid to keep those things very liquid. And actually literally brain washes away the junk. Now the junk also includes all those plaques and ugly things that um, cause dementia. So yes, we want to get to the point where you're good enough at going back to sleep that if you get up and pee once or twice at night, it's not a big deal. The reason we are afraid of peeing at night is because we then toss and turn for a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour or two hours and we get more, less sleep. And so here we are back to that sleep thing again. And you may not be able to extend the hours that you spend in bed in order to get that right amount of sleep if you toss and turn for an hour at hour or two at night. So the important thing is to learn to put yourself back to sleep. It's learned behavior. And staying up at night, tossing and turning is also learned behavior. So as you're adjusting to this amount of, of hydration, if this is more hydration than you normally get, and um, 75 ounces is a little more than two uh, a two liter bottle. So thinking about that, you, you may not be getting that much. So as you're adjusting, you may want to cut way back after six o'clock at night, but you also want to get to the point where you can drink that much, even into the evening, nine or 10 o'clock at night, whenever you choose to go to bed. The next way to reclaim your energy is to breathe. Now, we talked about 444 breathing, and one of the cool things about 444 breathing is you are breathing deeply and fully, and that's important. So, again, the mitochondria, the energy powerhouses in your cells, needs oxygen to work. Oxygen is, is the flame. Uh, have you ever, ever been in a place where they snuffed out a fire by taking away the oxygen? by replacing it with halon um, or seeing that happen. That's how they snuff out fires in computer rooms back when I was working with the big, big iron mainframes. They snuff out a fire by taking away all the oxygen. And without oxygen, our muscles can't do the work of building our uh, burning our fuel. So it's that deep, breathing, taking air all the way into our lungs. When we get sad or excited, we tend to breathe in just the top part of our lungs and we deprive ourselves of the oxygen that we need 
in order to fuel energy. So using that 4-4-4 breathing or other breathwork techniques, you get the full use of your energy store, energy powerhouses, the mitochondria. Fuel burns in that oxygen atmosphere. And in order to have enough oxygen to fuel what we're doing, we need to breathe deeply. Ever over-exercised, exercise beyond your breath and you're gasping for oxygen? It's because your body can't fuel, start that fuel burning again until it has the oxygen it needs. My last tip for today is about refined carbs. Now, carbohydrates are a food group a macronutrient that comes primarily from plant sources. And many, 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 many carbohydrates are very good for you, especially green and leafy vegetables and green and yellow, the, the ones that broccoli. Okay, cauliflower is white, but it's only white because they blanch it, by the way. Those green vegetables are always good for you, just about always. There's a few exceptions, but we're not going to talk about them today. Uh, If you're interested, drop me a line. I'll explain to you when certain green vegetables are not good for you. But green vegetables, salads, broccoli, green beans, okra, zucchini, squash, carrots, even the root vegetables are good for you. Even whole grains are good for you. Even legumes, even though I will actually very rarely recommend legumes because I don't like them. Uh, Those are beans, by the way, Um, all kinds of beans. Those are all good for you. And depending on, on your dietary choices, they can be part of your healthy diet. What's not part of your healthy diet? What actually is sapping energy from you? are these refined nutrient-free carbs. And that's sugar, okay? There is a place for um, honey and for maple syrup, I think, in in our lives. It's a smaller place than we, we give sugars overall. But any refined sugar is going to burn through so quickly that it's going to give you an insulin spike and then drop. And if there's too much of it, they the insulin will take escort it to your fat cells. This also goes for refined grains. So whole wheat has a place in our diets for some. Refined white flour has very little place in our diets. Now, 80-20-90-10 rule here applies. 80-20 means that if you are at your ideal weight, you can probably get away with about 20% of cheat time or time in which you are allowing yourself to eat things that fall outside the good foods, like sugars and white flour. And that doesn't mean 70, 80% of your calories come from these other foods and 20 from your refined carbs, but 20% of the time you can eat foods that contain them. Not that are 100, don't eat, don't eat the sugar straight from the sugar bowl. 
So that's what I'm talking about. Refined carbs, because they spike insulin and then it goes up and down really quickly, actually puts more, more of that sugar gets escorted to fat cells. And then you have to have a lack of fuel in your in your energies, in your cells, in order to eventually burn that that sugar or uh, refined carbs that is put away that the, that your body has stored as fat. So again, it's not helping your energy levels stay at a sustainable energy level. So those are my five first tips. These are all about supporting your body. And it's all about giving your body what it needs to energize correctly. I'm going to just read them back real quickly. The first is the right exercise. And remember that exercise is a habit that you need to get into, and it won't change your energy levels right away. It takes a couple of weeks for your body to adjust. Getting the right amount of sleep for you, and that means... Being giving yourself enough time to sleep, but also learning the habits that will help you get to sleep quickly and get back to sleep. Third is to hydrate, get enough water for you, one ounce for every two pounds of body weight or more. Breathe, give your body the oxygen it needs to burn fuel for energy. And finally, limit your refined carbs. Those are my five tips for starting to get back to your energy your energy levels. Next time, I'm going to talk about the mental things that we do that sap our energy. In the meantime, I'm Jean Andrus, and this is Menopause Matters. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Menopause has many annoying symptoms, but not many are worse than the lack of sleep. If you are one of the 90% of women who suffer from menopausal insomnia and or fatigue, I'd love to offer you my free download, Five Tips to Get Better Sleep Tonight. You can get it at menopausematterspodcast.com slash sleep. And let me know which of these tips works best for you.